Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Only nine weeks left until Penn State opens the season against West Virginia coming up early September. So not too far off. We're going to have a lot of really cool uh, football information updates and notes and everything over uh, the next few weeks preseason rankings and all Americans and all that kind of stuff. We do know this as we sit here uh, in early July, this is supposed to be a really good season for Penn state and perhaps kicking off a, a fantastic potential two year window here uh, to compete for a college football playoff, maybe even contend for a college football national championship. Given that, and uh, given some comments that uh, he made earlier this week, I want to spend a little bit of time on the podcast this week with a James Pr- Franklin appreciation uh, hour. No, it's not going to be an hour. We'll go eight, nine minutes here or so in the first segment. But James Franklin was on a podcast this week with former Penn State tight end Adam Brenneman. They discussed a whole bunch of topics, uh, this year's team, uh, his tenure at Penn State, how lean things were at one point, turning the program. It's a very good listen if you want to. Uh, it's, a, it's a good 50 minutes, nearly an hour. There's your James Franklin appreciation hour there with Adam Brenneman. But a lot of good stuff that James talked about with Adam. And there was one comment that stuck out. We've heard James say this at times in, in, over the years, especially since 2016. Uh, and he mentioned how during the Minnesota game, in 2016, again, this is after 49-10 at Michigan, the disastrous loss, and they're down at the half against Minnesota, and at halftime, the student section is chanting, Fire Franklin, Fire Franklin, Fire Franklin. James mentioned that on the podcast, again, with Adam Brenneman. We all know what happened after that. Trace McSorley led the comeback in the second half against Minnesota. Penn State was off and running. The miracle win over Ohio State. They won the Big Ten, got to the Rose Bowl, and the program has been uh, back to national prominence ever since. And, you know, I remember going back to that time seven years ago and thinking, hey, sure, you know, even though James Franklin took over a very, very difficult situation in 2014, by 2016, and especially after 49-10, it was not out of the realm of ordinary that people were wondering, hey, is this guy going to get fired? Can he ever get the job done? And now that we look back on it seven years later, look, I realize there are some Penn State fans that still don't feel like James Franklin is necessarily a great coach. But to deny the fantastic success that James Franklin has had since 2016 uh, is foolish, silly, not fair to him. And I just want to take a few minutes here as we get a little closer to the 2023 season in which Penn State's going to be ranked in the top 10 in the preseason, probably anywhere from five to seven. Uh, maybe a chance to get to a college football playoff. We'll see. But certainly with Drew Aller, Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen, Abdul Carter, Kalen King, this program has a lot of talent. And the next couple of years could be something special. But let's look back on the success that James Franklin has had. How much, how much, um, notoriety does he deserve? How much 
congratulations does he deserve for what he's been able to accomplish since 2016. As James told Adam Brenneman, people thought it would be 10 years after the sanctions and, and scandal before Penn State football got back. So for them to win the Big Ten in 2016 absolutely was a good five years ahead of schedule. Nobody, not me, not you, not anybody, thought Penn State was going to win the Big Ten in 2016. Not a single person. Maybe some people in the, in the program had hoped, you know, had thought in their wildest dreams, hey, if every single thing goes right, if we get a miracle touchdown against Ohio State, maybe something could happen. And sure enough, that's what happened. But if you consider the success Penn State had 2016, 17, 18, 19, finishing in the top 12 each of those four years, uh, barely missing the playoff a couple times, you got to look back and and say, hey, James Franklin has done a fantastic job at, at Penn State. Now, have I been critical of him at times? Absolutely. Are there things that he does during games on Saturdays that are maddening? And you're like, what the hell are you doing? Sure. But you know what? Every coach goes through that. Every single coach. Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, the greatest football coaches of all time. They do things that make you scratch your head and say, what the hell are you doing? You know, I'm not in any way comparing James Franklin to Bill Belichick or Nick Saban. Don't get me wrong. My point is, we all question things that coaches do at times. At the end of the day, you look at the scoreboard. You look at the record. You look at the wins and losses. You look at the success. And again, as we... Get set to enter the 2023 season, kind of take a step back, take a 30,000 foot view of where Penn State football was when James Franklin took over after Bill O'Brien. And then, you know, certainly after the scandal and sanctions and everything. And you'd be a fool to not say that he has done a terrific job at Penn State. Now, did things get away from them in 2020? Was that a disastrous season? Absolutely. Uh, 2020 was COVID and whether you want to put an asterisk on it or not, a lot of things went really, really south for Penn State that year. And it just, it just evaporated in a hurry with the 0 and 5 start. 2021, they're the number four team in the country. Sean Clifford gets hurt uh, at Iowa when they're leading. They probably would have been the number two team in the country if they hold on, when they hold on and win that game, but they don't with Take One Roberson. They lose. The season collapses. They finish seven and six. Are there things we can criticize James Franklin for from 2020 and 2021? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, and, and as we sat here a year ago at this time, in July of last year, I was wondering if James Franklin should be coaching for his job. I thought it was a gigantic mistake that Sandy Barber had given him a new 10-year contract. I thought that he needed to at least come out and prove everything, uh, prove some things again one more time after the 2020-2021 seasons. And, you know, Penn State came out last year, finished 11-2, and won a Rose Bowl. And, you know, can we criticize James Franklin for not playing Drew Allermore last year? Sure. And that's probably going to come up this year depending on Aller's development. But at the end of the day, 11-2, and two, Rose Bowl, James Franklin can say, hey, scoreboard, scoreboard, you know. So when we think about where Penn State football is right now, where it was, certainly during that Fire Franklin chant against Minnesota in 2016, no matter what you think of James Franklin or even whatever levels of criticism you might have had for James at times over the years, if you're not willing to take a step back and say, good job, man, good job. Well, then the problem is with you, honestly. 
You know, again, everything in life and certainly in sports, we can criticize anything we want. But if you're not willing to be the kind of person that says, hey, good job, you can be critical of something and then have your opinion changed, have your mind changed and say and be impressed by something that somebody does. Uh, certainly, I've had my my doubts and questions about James at times over the years. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy that's done a fantastic job at Penn State. And if we don't keep that in mind over the next couple of years, you know, now look, they've got to live up to the expectations this year in 2023 and in 2024. And we'll reevaluate this in three months, six months, nine months. Look, it's constantly going to be reevaluated. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that James Franklin is the greatest thing since sliced bread right now, but he does deserve a tremendous amount of credit and congratulations for what he's done since that whole halftime fire Franklin chant against Minnesota. And so I'll close this discussion uh, earlier this week uh, or a couple weeks ago, there was a, a, a ranking coaching ranking by CBS sports where they had, uh, they ranked all the coaches in the big 10 and they had James Franklin, number four behind one, Jim Harbaugh two Ryan day. And he absolutely should be behind both of those coaches. But then they had Luke Fickle from Wisconsin at number three. And then James Franklin's number. That's a damn joke. That's a damn joke. Okay. Uh, I I think Luke Fickle can have success at Wisconsin. He's certainly taking over a traditional program. And I hope he he does well there. But uh, James Franklin has won a Big Ten title. He's won a Rose Bowl. He's won a Cotton Bowl. He's won a Fiesta Bowl. He's finished in the top 12 at Penn State five times in seven years. To put Luke Fickle ahead of James Franklin in that Big Ten ranking is, is a damn joke. I know Luke Fickle got to a playoff at Cincinnati, and that's a sensational accomplishment for him. Great job at Cincinnati. But uh, who were they playing? They weren't in the Big Ten East. They weren't playing Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. You know, and then they get beat in the playoffs 27 to six by Alabama. And, and, you know, look, I, I give Luke Fickle a ton of credit for what he did at Cincinnati, but to just automatically put him at number three ahead of James Franklin in, in the Big Ten, uh, that's silly. That's, that's clickbait to me. Um, and I, I, I just have a hard time with that, that, uh, that they would, you know, put him ahead of James at this point. Might he be ahead of James Franklin in two, three, four years? Sure. At this point, Absolutely not. All right, welcome back. I've got a pretty interesting uh, story analysis on the DK Pittsburgh Sports site now on the Penn State page about finances in college football. Really intriguing th- uh, scenario I want to talk about here for a few minutes. I, I read a story from David Ubin from uh, The Athletic a couple days ago about the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund and whether or not that fund could eventually try to infiltrate, find its way into college football uh, with regards to investing in in this country um, like they did with golf. Now, 
I thought this was a fascinating story. If if you've listened to my podcast or read my coverage of Penn State for any amount of time, you know that finances really intrigue me. Uh, I'm very intrigued by money. I'd love to have more money. I, I don't a lot. Unfortunately, I'm sure all of you would love to have as much money as you, as you could get. Uh, but anyway, uh, finances in sports, it's always intrigued me. And so I read this story from David Ubin, and, I, I thought, and I'd not really thought about this uh, concept of the Saudi Arabian uh, Public Investment Fund investing in college football. But reading it, in which he asked several athletic directors uh, in, in college athletics their opinions on this. A couple of them said that it's inevitable from what the story pointed out. And if you think about it, the NFL is the king in this country in terms of sports. College football is number two. Okay, so I, I just want to go over this here for just a minute. The question I ask in the story is, do fans care? where the money comes from in college football. Do you care? If you're a Penn State fan, a fan of some other team, college football, college athletics fan in general, what if the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund somehow could generate millions and millions of dollars to help your team? Would you be okay with that? Would you be opposed to it? Now, when this whole thing happened with Live Golf, I don't know, over the past year or so, and now we're dealing with the PGA Tour and Live Golf have, have merged and settled their lawsuits. But when all this happened with Live Golf, there's a gigantic outrage. Why are we, why is uh, all this public investment fund money, uh, be, being deemed okay to pay off all these golfers? So that they could get huge deals. It's considered dirty money, you know, immoral, um, all kinds of things. Lots of issues with the Saudi Arabian government, the way they've done things. If you're not aware, there have been, Ty pointed this out in the story, there have been connections to Saudi nationals to 9 11. Um, the Saudi crown prince. Is being has been held responsible for murdering a, a, a journalist back in 2018. They've it's not a free country. They've got a lot of uh, restrictive policies toward women, minorities, religious minorities, things like that. So Saudi Arabia is not a great place. All right, Saudi Arabia does a lot of really uh, highly questionable things, um, and and very different the way they view society than than we do in the United States. But you know what? The United States has, in connection with Saudi Arabia, billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars of business. They're in business with Saudi Arabia in all kinds of things. Car, oils, finances, banking, um, manufacturing, basically any business sector you can think of that is massive. We might have some kind of dealing with, with Saudi Arabia. And we take that money in business and yet golfers got all ticked off that Saudi money was infiltrating their sport. And it's, it created all this g gigantic controversy about where the money comes from. And you know, is this dirty money? Is this blood money? Is this thing or these things that we should be accepting? But nobody questions all of this when I pointed out in the story, Boeing signed a 37 billion with a B 
dollar contract for for a business deal with Saudi Arabia. Nobody questioned that. And so the story David Ubin wrote in, in the Athletic, it just makes a lot of sense that they are trying the, the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. They're trying to make inroads all over the world in in certain areas where it could be a good investment or certain popular areas. And it would make a lot of sense if they would try to get involved in college football and, and put a lot of money into the sport of college football. Would the universities accept it? That is a big question. Would fans accept it based on all of the controversies that I just mentioned? Well, again, hey, you know, our, our American businesses accept the money and do business with Saudi Arabia. Um, me personally, I, while I can spout disapproval of their sometimes pathetic and deplorable ways of life and decisions they make in that country, hey, our government, the rest of the world deems them fair game to do business with. And that's really just the way the world works morally, whether it's immoral or not. I mean, it's just, that's just the way the world works. So could they somehow get involved in college football? Say you're Penn State, say you're the Big Ten, say you're the SEC, say you're TV networks, say you're NIL collectives. If there's the potential for millions or tens of millions of dollars to be uh, added into the the economy of college football, don't you think that everybody would be bending over backwards to find their way to get their hands on that money? I do. The story mentioned again, a couple athletic directors saying it's all but inevitable this is going to happen. And I kind of, I would kind of tend to think that way as well after researching more about it here over the last few days. Again, is it, is it right? Is it wrong? Look, that's for every individual to decide, but after reading the story, I, I wanted to point all, you know, point out, you know, some of those various elements in the column that I wrote about, Hey, our country, our country's in business with a lot of people, a lot of folks that we've had major, major issues with before. We do business with Vietnam. We lost 58,000 American soldiers in the Vietnam War. Our country does business with Vietnam now. Our country does business with Saudi Arabia. Our country does business with China. The NBA is is very much in bed with China when it comes to basketball and has been for a lot of years. China is an awful country in a lot of ways from a human rights standpoint. So, again, I, the question, main question I asked, uh, and you can comment here, you can shoot me a message uh, on the story or, or comment on the story or whatever. Uh, you know, would fans, college football or college athletics fans, be turned off or uh, would they refuse to accept that money coming into college athletics could come from such a source that is highly controversial. It's something very interesting to think about. And again, I, I like to think, consider myself, I think about a lot of different elements and areas of finances and where money could come from. College athletics with the Pirates, other sports. I've done this for years and years throughout my career. But again, I had not really considered that whole Saudi thing until I read the athletic story. Now, after reading it, doing some research, I would I would tend to think that at some point, yeah, be it through TV contracts, NIL collectives, or what have you, 
we're going to see probably some Saudi Arabian money infiltrate college athletics at some point. third and final segment of the We Are podcast. I want to ask you kind of a fun question to end things up this week. What's the one place you would love to watch a college football game? Uh, we, If you're a Penn State fan, you've heard many times over the years, Penn State's got you know, the number one atmosphere in college football, the whiteout or what have you, student section, all those, all those types of things. Penn, Beaver Stadium is, is clearly a tremendous, tremendous place to watch a football game. If you're listening to this, my guess is you have watched some, if not many, many uh, games at Beaver Stadium over the years. But if you had a bucket list, what would be number one on your bucket list? What's the one venue that you uh, have always thought, man, I, I would love to watch a game there. And I will say that, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up with the Rose Bowl being uh, a, a huge thing in my life. I grew up in the, in the Southwest. Teams didn't play in the Rose Bowl. So, you know, other bowl games were the Cotton Bowl was important to me growing up. But having been able to be, uh, to three Rose Bowls, I went in 08, 16, and, and then after last year, uh, to see that facility. Oh my gosh. It is, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Hopefully a, a lot of you Penn State fans listening to this have been able to make the trip out there. Uh, at some point, either one of those or in some previous um, times that Penn State had gone. But man, oh man, just a, a, an absolutely spectacular place. The setting, the scene, you know the history and everything. So that that's probably up there for a lot of you on your bucket list. Others, you know, depending on who, who you root for, who you root against, Notre Dame, Alabama, uh, you know, probably not many Penn State fans would say Ohio State, but I've always loved going Ohio, to Ohio State. The Horseshoe, to me, is a phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal environment to go to. I went to Alabama in 2011 when Penn State went down there. That that uh, was right at the top of my list uh, other than the Rose Bowl. Uh, it was just absolutely gorgeous. The folks down there, at Alabama treated everyone so unbelievably well. And, you know, that story has been told many times over the years uh, throughout, you know, Penn State fans and media of just how well Alabama treated Penn State. So going down to Bryant-Denny Stadium, that was spectacular. You know, I've been to Notre Dame. That was spectacular. I've never been to LSU. I hear LSU can be an incredible atmosphere. I'm sure Georgia is probably along those lines. I've never been to Texas. You know, I, I've, I've covered all the places in the Big Ten, but, you know, not maybe not a whole lot of other uh, places around the country. I was told that when Penn State went to BYU years ago, that that was an unbelievable setting. And I can imagine that in Provo with the mountains and everything. But if you had uh, a bucket list, what would be number one, number two, number three? Where would you like to go most uh, in, in terms of uh, a college football venue to watch a game. I do feel very, very fortunate. And I'm about to enter, I think, what, my 18th year covering college football. I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to see so many spectacular places in and around the Big Ten, including Beaver Stadium, which is really as good as it gets. 
but uh, also Alabama, Notre Dame, the Rose Bowl, a bunch of, bunch of other bowl games. I went to Ireland for the game out there. That was a, a memorable experience. But if you want to share what would be number one, number two on your bucket list, you can post it in the comments here or uh, shoot me a message. Hopefully that'll be something fun you can consider. Hey, folks, appreciate everybody for tuning in this week. As always, uh, it's July. Less less than nine weeks away now before the start of the season. It's going to be here before we know it. Have a good week, folks. 